0: You ever had one of those days where nothing seems to go right? From the very moment your feet hit the floor, everything seems stacked against you. You burn your breakfast, milk is sour, there's no food in the refrigerator. You go and you go to work, you go to start your car and it doesn't start. Things at work go bad, things at home are bad. And at the end of the day, you just feel like somebody was plotting against you today. You just feel like somebody had your number and they had the deck stacked against you this day that everything that could go wrong was going to go wrong. Sometimes we feel like that somebody is actually plotting against our life, and I'm here to tell you this morning that somebody is, that you're not crazy, you're not paranoid, there is actually somebody plotting against you as much as you are trying to have a great life and a great day. The Bible tells us that there is somebody that's hoping you have an awful day a terrible day, trying to rob you of your joy, steal, you of, steal your success, and kill anything good in your life. Last few weeks, we've been talking about the armor of God, and we've been talking about how the Bible says that the reason we're given this spiritual armor is to stand against the schemes of the devil, and really what, it's, what, that, what that tells us is that there is a real devil who has real schemes against your life and mine. We haven't talked a lot about the devil as we began this series. Pastor Brian referenced it a little in that uh, first uh, part of the uh, passage about four weeks ago. But let me just give a quick uh, little, little um, uh, doctrine, doctrine of the devil. Can I, I'm not sure that if I should say that, but that's what, you know, let's get right on the devil. Usually when it comes to the devil, uh, people fall on one or two extremes, right? One extreme is what's coming up next month, right? Halloween, Uh, the the costumes with the red face and the pointed horns and, and just the cartoonish characterization of a devil, of Satan, right? That it's just a cartoon, it's just a costume, it's just something, that kid, it's a fictional character like any other fictional character that people would dress up as. That's one extreme. The other extreme is putting so much emphasis on the devil that we look for him, not only do we look for him everywhere, but almost he gets elevated to the antithesis of God. That it's not just that he's an enemy of God, but he is the exact opposite of God. And what I mean by that is we elevate him to be as powerful, as strong, like he's he's on the same level with God, only just bad instead of good. Neither one of those extremes are biblically accurate. What the devil really is, Scripture tells us, is a created being. God himself was not created, but the devil was, the Bible teaches, created as one of the angels, created as one of the angels, one of the archangels, one of the, the rank of angels, one of the highest angels, but, but he disobeyed, he wanted power for himself, so he, he, he left God, he disobeyed God, and he was banished out of heaven, what the Bible says, when he was, he took one-third of the angels of heaven with him as his followers, we don't know what one-third of the angels is. We have no idea. Is that hundreds? Is it thousands? Is it millions? Is it billions? Is it trillions? We don't know how many angels there were created. All we know is that one-third of them followed Satan. Two-thirds of them are uh, still with God, but the angels are created beings. So that being said, with the devil being created as an angel, he is not I'm saying this over here. This is bad. Like, I'm not pointing to you guys because you're like the devil's side. I shouldn't, I shouldn't reference that, right? So I'll point down, right? Okay, all right. The devil is not... And when I say he's not the opposite of God, I mean he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all the time like God is. He's a created being that is in one place, at one time, at one moment. So I just want to kind of be clear on that. Now, he does have these one-third of the angels as minions, demons, whatever you want to call them that are throughout the world. But the devil himself, one place, one time, one moment. So let's not... Uh, make the mistake of either painting him as cartoonish, like not relevant, not real, or painting him as way too powerful. Biblically, uh, that this is who the devil is. He's, he's an angel that's fallen. We know his future. And his goal in the meantime is to take as many as possible with him to destruction. So the Bible says his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. So most often you and I are not dealing one-on-one with the devil. That would be quite rare with 7 billion people in the world and, uh, and whatever else is going on in the universe, I suppose, in that spiritual realm. But there are these forces, spiritual forces that exist, minions, demons, and these forces that exist against us that are scheming against us to steal, kill, and destroy your life and mine. And so Paul tells us, put on the spiritual armor so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. And so for the last three weeks, we've been talking about some of what those schemes are. And this week, I want to close with one part of the armor that I think really addresses one of the devil's greatest schemes... One of the greatest schemes against us. One of the things that you and I probably wrestle with almost on a daily basis. One of the things that can cripple the church and can paralyze any follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I promise you is a scheme that is used against you getting closer to God, taking more risks for God, being more bold for God, and the enemy has this scheme that he tries to work against you. And the way I believe the spiritual armor that combats this scheme is the helmet of salvation. And I want to talk to you this morning about the helmet of salvation. Probably one of the least talked about aspects of the armor when I, when I began to think about it. I think I've heard a lot in my life and about a righteousness, breastplate of righteousness. I've certainly heard a lot about truth, peace, the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God. Heard a lot, preached a lot of sermons on that. But the helmet of salvation, what is that all about? Why does Paul say we need to put it on? And what is this scheme that it gives us protection against. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 to 20 is the passage I want to read. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. Concluding the armor of God, Paul writes this, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So in this passage, you've got the helmet of salvation, you've got the sword of the spirit, that's the word of God, and then you've got some verses on prayer I'm not going to focus in this message a whole lot on the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God. We do that a lot. Every Sunday we do that. Every message you hear shared from this platform comes out of the Word of God. It is critical and a foundation to our faith. Every message uh, taught to your children, every message taught in our classes comes out. Of the Word of God. It is essential. It is what Jesus used when he did battle against the actual devil. He taught and used the Word of God as his weapon. So uh, we do a Bible reading plan every year. My goal as, as a pastor is to get the Word of God in you. Uh, so uh, that is something we talk about a lot, uh, not something I'm going to focus on this morning. Prayer, and the end of this passage, is really, I think, how we put on the armor. That happens through Prayer. Being in prayer all the time for all things, for all people. That's what Paul talks about in this passage. That's how we put on the armor. But I want to focus in on this helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. And I don't think it's talked about a lot. Maybe because we just take it as a presumption, uh, an a priori presumption. Uh, the thought is it's, it's already been taken care of because we think sometimes when we follow Christ, we talk about we are saved, Right? past tense. We have been saved. We often talk about it that way. So maybe when Paul says helmet of salvation, we think, I already got that one on. I mean, that, that's on. Helmet of salvation, check. Let's move on to the other stuff. Because sometimes we think, when I've decided to follow Christ, when I have taken that step, I have been saved. I've got the helmet of salvation on. What's next? But let me just take a couple minutes This morning to talk about what does it mean to be saved? Because I think there's three aspects to being saved that sometimes we don't always have them on, even as followers of Christ and the devil comes against us. The first aspect of being saved is that which you are saved from. See, if we talk about saved, you got to be saved from something, right? I mean, if you're going to save someone from drowning, or you save them from dying, or you save them from a danger. You have to be saved. You can't be saved unless you've been saved from something. If you haven't been saved from something, you haven't been saved. So one aspect of being saved is what have you been saved from? The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, in talking about the coming of Jesus, says so she will give birth to a son and you are going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You have to be saved from something. But it's not just sins that we're saved from, it's the consequences that result from being a sinner. So Romans chapter 5, 9 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. And this is really the bottom line. We are really saved from the wrath of God as a consequence and as a result of being a sinner. Now, that may sound harsh. That may not sound, uh, that may even scratch against, you know, that sound like nails on a chalkboard to you, that we would be objects of God's wrath. But this is a primary teaching of Scripture that any sin, whether it's the devil when he chooses to not be an angel and follower of God, any of those one-third of those demons that choose not to follow God, or any person on earth that chooses to go their own way instead of God's way becomes an object of wrath for God, becomes something that cannot be in God's presence. because God is holy and perfect, and the moment you dilute that perfection with anything less than anything. The moment you dilute that holiness with anything less than perfection, God is no longer perfect and holy. And so we had to be saved from our sin and from being objects of the wrath of God. And so this is what we are saved from. See, you and I have to be saved from something. You may say, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, there's people that are worse than me. That's right, but the standard's perfection. Perfection. And how are we doing? Probably not that great when the standard is perfection. And so I had to be saved from my sins and the wrath of God, the position that it put me in with my sins. And so we are saved. The first part of salvation is we are saved from our sins and the consequences that result from it. The good news is that we are saved through not our own actions, but the work of Jesus Christ. And so Titus chapter 3 says this, but when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us, listen to this, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we are saved from our sin and the consequences of it, but we are saved through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What we are not saved through is our own righteous acts. What we are not saved through is the good outweighing the bad in our life. What we are not saved through is, is how we compare or measure up to someone beside us or someone we hear about or some murderer or someone in the news and, and we just kind of change that sliding scale. The worse we get, we pick someone else worse to compare ourselves to. We're not saved through our own acts. This passage is clear that salvation comes through the work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're saved through. But finally, the third aspect of salvation is what we're saved to. What are you saved to? Titus chapter 3, the verse that just follows the passage I read says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You and I are saved to become sons and daughters of God to become heirs with Christ of all God that has, to spend eternity with him, to be in his presence forever. This is what you're saved to. You're saved from our sins and the consequences of it, saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and saved to eternal life and being an heir of God. Now let's talk about what is it that's the scheme of the enemy why is it so important that we have this understanding and we have this helmet of salvation that we put on? Each of these pieces of armor gives us freedom in our lives. And there's various freedoms that we talked about. Truth gives us freedom from lies of the enemy. Righteousness gives us freedom from discredit of our reputation. Faith gives us freedom from doubts. Peace gives us freedom from anxiety. And this morning, salvation gives us freedom from fear. And that's the scheme that I believe the enemy wants to use against you and me, and it's often his go to card fear. Fear. That you and I often walk in fear, and often it paralyzes us or cripples us from doing something great for God. Because the enemy tries to come in and bring fear into your life and your mind and your heart and my heart. And so let's just look quickly at these three aspects. The first aspect was the fact that you are saved from your sins. So what's the scheme of the enemy? The enemy comes in and says, no, no you're not saved from your sins. You will always be who you have always been is what the enemy tries to tell you. You can go to church, and those people can think what they want about you, but the enemy says, you and I know who you really are. You're a cheater, a liar. You lust. You think you're greedy. The enemy tries to come in and, and say that you are your past, that you are the product of your past That you are just the result of your past and you are who you will, you are who you have always been and you will always be that way. And so what, what the helmet of salvation does is it sets us free from our past. It sets us free from the fears of our past that we can only be who we've always been. Right, Because when you put that helmet of salvation on, you say, no, 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 I am not who I was. The Bible says that in Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. All things have been made new, and I am not who I was. So you put on that helmet of salvation, you say, no, 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 I am saved from my past. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to be embarrassed of it because Jesus Christ has set me free from it and it's a part of God's story of redemption in my life. See, one of the things that being saved from our past does is it gives us a story to tell for God But you are saved from your past. And so that helmet of salvation, the first thing is, yeah, I'm not necessarily, I am not Now who I was, and I will not always be who I was. I am moving forward in God and becoming who Christ desires me to be. But secondly, the second thing is I am saved through the blood of Christ. So the fear is the enemy tries to come in and say, you're not really saved. You haven't done enough. You haven't done enough good works. Your works don't measure up. I mean, look, come on, you're so selfish, the enemy says. I mean, look at the people around you. They're doing good stuff. Certainly they're saved, but you're not saved. The enemy tries to feed these lies into your mind, and you have a fear of uncertainty about your salvation. You don't have a fear about salvation because you believe God can save people, but the enemy will come in and say, yeah, God can save people, just not you. Just not you. And he comes in and he tries to bring in that fear of uncertainty. And he tries to make you believe that your salvation depends on you, on your works, on what you have done or what you have left undone. And he tries to get you in a place of fear and paralysis so that you won't step out and do anything for God. You can't do anything for God. You are not even saved. But the truth is, see, I put on that helmet of salvation and I said, no, I have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not about my works. It is not about what I have done. It is not about what I have left undone. I have been saved alone by the cross of Jesus Christ. See, the moment I think that my acts add something to salvation, I have removed the power of the cross. The moment I think... Well, I can only be saved if I can stop this thing in my life. Or I can only be saved if I can do these good works. The moment I think that is the moment that the cross becomes unnecessary. Because if I can save myself and clean myself up, then Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. So, I have to get to the point where I fall on the cross completely and say, God, it is not by anything I have added. It is your work and your work alone that has saved me. And I put on that helmet of salvation and say, It's not about my works. It's not about what I have done or left undone. It's not about me saving myself. It's about what Jesus on the cross alone has done. And you have to put on that helmet of salvation because the enemy will try and trick you and he'll scheme against you and he'll try and make you believe you're not good enough and you know what? You're not good enough and neither am I but through the blood of Jesus Christ God has valued us and welcomed us into his presence and into his kingdom. The third one what you're saved to and this is the biggest one and this is the one I really want to just sit on for a couple minutes this morning and finish up with because the biggest fear, I believe, that the enemy uses against us, and especially in anywhere in the world, but especially, I think, in the United States of America, where we have experienced a lot of blessings, where we experience a lot of, uh, of, of things in this world that make our lives more comfortable and enjoyable. And, and so what the enemy tries to come against us with is a fear of death, a fear of death. idea that you're going to lose it all. He tries to make us so enamored with the things in this world that we get so afraid of dying that our entire focus becomes absorbed with that. The enemy tries, his scheme is to come in and say, look, this is the best there is. Doesn't get any better than this. What you have now, enjoy it because this is all there is. So you better keep all you can get. You better just protect everything at all costs. You can't give things away. You might need them. You can't go to a foreign country to serve God. You might get hurt. You might get killed. And this is all there is. See, it's a fear of death that the enemy tries to creep in. You can't send your kids on that mission trip. What if something happens to them? fear that the enemy tries to creep in. But the helmet of salvation says that I am saved to eternal life with God. I am saved to a city that I don't know yet, but whose maker is God. And see, I think one of the things the enemy uses, and I've said this before, but I think he uses like these Hollywood just mockery depictions of what heaven's going to be like. These little babies flying around on clouds, playing harps. I mean, who wants to go there? If that's what heaven's like, I'm not interested. But that picture is nowhere in Scripture. Heaven is filled with the glory of a God who created me and loves me and is creative and is loving, and that's the place. It's it's filled with the God who created this world and everything I enjoy in it. That's the God of heaven. It's it's, it's filled with the God, the presence of God, who, who has blessed us and led us and called us and created us. Why wouldn't I want to go to that place? But see, the enemy uses these strategies. He says, no, this is the best there is. You better keep on. You better hold it tight. You better hold it tight. You better be afraid to lose it because this is all there is. But if I put on that helmet of salvation, I say, no, no, not only am I saved from my sins, not only am I saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, but I am saved too eternal life with him and it only begins here and death is just a door to the next chapter but it is eternal life with God see it's not unnatural to fear death you and I it's very natural to fear death because we weren't created to die God created us in the garden not to die but sin entered in and death entered in so it's natural that we fear it but it's supernatural that we trust in God and put on that helmet of salvation and say, because of Jesus Christ, I no longer have to fear it. I no longer have to operate in the natural feeling towards death. I can say, Jesus has overcome death. And like Paul, I can say, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Because I have been saved to life with Christ. And so what the helmet of salvation does is it removes fear. And so you and I can walk through this life without fear. Not without pain, not without difficulty, not without challenges, but you can walk without fear. Let me give you a couple examples of it. It's like this. If you're on a boat that's going down, if you were on the Titanic or you were on, you've been on, you were on a boat that you knew without a doubt was going down, what would your first instinct be? I know my first instinct, my first instinct would be to look around and find the nearest lifeboat and get on it, right? You don't know how quick this ship is going down. You don't know what's happening. It's chaos all around you. You're going to look for that nearest lifeboat and you are going to get in it. And if other people get in, that's great, but you're going to make sure you're in there. If you've got family on the boat, you're going to make sure they're in there. You're getting in your lifeboat and you're leaving. You're making sure you're safe and nobody will blame you for that. But what if the scenario was different? What if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you knew a secret passage to a little place where there was, you knew, guaranteed a lifeboat for you? You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were getting off the boat and you were safe. What if you could be 100% sure that even though the ship is sinking, you're going to get off safe? Would that change your actions in that moment? It would change mine. Suddenly my actions shift from finding a lifeboat to doing everything I can to get as many people as possible safe and on lifeboats and off the ship and preserve their life and I'm doing everything I can to make sure more people are saved from death and destruction. That's kind of what the helmet of salvation does. That even to the point of losing your life on this earth, You've got a lifeboat. You know what you're saved to. Even to the point of giving away all you have, if God asks you to do that, of going to a faraway place, of losing your reputation, of losing people you love, or positions uh, that you value, or possessions that you value, even to the point of losing all of that, you know what you're saved to. And so you don't have to fear. So you can walk around the deck and help people into their lifeboat and try and calm people down and show them the way out because you don't have to fear. See, the helmet of salvation removes fear. David knew it. He said it this way in Psalm chapter 27. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3 says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And what's the basis and foundation of his confidence? The Lord is my light and salvation. And his confidence is based on that salvation from God. So you and I can walk through life and say, wars may come, armies may come, difficulties may come, hard times may come. But the Lord is my salvation. And I put on that helmet of salvation and say, I know what I'm saved from, I know how I'm saved through, and I know what I am saved to. And you move forward in confidence and not in fear. Not in fear. I'm told, I haven't counted them, that it says at least 365 times in the Bible, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, at least once for each day. Fear not. Why so many times? Because God knows that this is a scheme of the enemy to try and bring fear into our lives. To try and bring fear into our lives. But it's not how he desires for us to live so my daughter at times is scared and I asked her if I could share this story today and she gave me permission so she's here but there's sometimes at night that my daughter Isabella gets scared and when she does uh, it's usually at a very convenient time of about 2 30 in the morning And she does exactly the same thing. She comes to my side of the bed, not her mom's, my side of the bed, and that's okay. And she taps on my arm and says, Daddy, I'm scared. Or Daddy, I had a bad dream. Or Daddy, there's monsters in my room. And as much as I try and say there's no monsters, it's okay, go ahead back to your room and everything will be fine, that usually isn't enough. Usually what it takes is for me to scoot over a few inches to make some room to pat the bed and she jumps up on the bed and she curls up beside me about as close as she can get. And before too long, the breathing begins to slow. The heart rate begins to go down and she's sleeping soundly right there. I'm not, but she is. <laughs> She's sleeping soundly in that moment, and all the fears are gone. And nothing's changed. And nothing's changed in her room, but somehow being there in, her, in my presence, everything has changed. And That's kind of like what the helmet of salvation is. Hey, you don't have to fear. And there'll be days coming, I know, when jumping into her dad's bed isn't gonna scare away the monsters or the challenges or the things that may come against her. But it's then and when that time comes that I'm grateful for a heavenly father that has given her the helmet of salvation, that tells her to fear not, because I am with you. THAT REMOVES THOSE FEARS AND SAYS, YOU DON'T HAVE TO OPERATE IN FEAR, BECAUSE YOUR FATHER'S HERE. YOUR HEAVENLY FATHER'S HERE. YOU DON'T HAVE TO WALK IN FEAR. YOU DON'T HAVE TO OPERATE IN FEAR. YOU DON'T EVEN HAVE TO FEAR DEATH, BECAUSE YOUR HEAVENLY FATHER'S HERE. AND SO THIS HELMET OF SALVATION, IT MAY NOT BE TALKED ABOUT A LOT, AND WE DO IT A DISSERVICE BY JUST THINKING, it is something we did months ago, years ago, decades ago for some of us. We think I went to an altar, I prayed the prayer, I I, I followed I chose to follow Jesus, and we think that's the helmet of salvation. It's not. Putting on that helmet of salvation is something we do every day. It says, I am saved from my past and the sins. I am saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I am saved to an eternal life with him as a son or a daughter of the living God, and I don't have to fear because God is with me, and that's what the helmet of salvation is, and that's why it's so critical for you and for me to put on because we will be crippled in our walk with God without it, you will never take a risk. You will never be bold for God. You will never step out in faith if you are walking in fear and you will never walk in faith if you don't trust that God has saved you and trust that God's best is best. So that helmet of salvation gives us freedom from our fears. Would you pray with me that we would be able to put that on this morning? Just as I go to prayer and heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you to search your heart in this moment of where you're at with this whole aspect of fear and the helmet of salvation because as you search your heart this morning, there's probably a couple different groups of people in here. Maybe you're in here and you have never committed your life to Jesus and you are still walking in the place where you are not only carrying around your sins, but you have put yourself in a position to bear the consequences of your sin because you have never accepted that free gift that Jesus offers You're still trying to save yourself. You're still hoping the good outweighs the bad and that somehow God has a scale and he weighs it the same way you do. You can have freedom from uncertainty. You can know that you know that you know that you are saved from your sin and the consequences of it when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. So this morning, maybe you need freedom from that fear of uncertainty about salvation from your sin. And if, you, if that's you, it's not hard. God is, Jesus has made it very easy. He's done the hard work on the cross. All you need to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Follow him. Your sins will be forgiven and you enter into a walk with him for the rest of your life if that 's you this morning, I encourage you not to wait to make that your prayer today. But there may be another group here today that you are a follower of Christ, but you 've been crippled by fear. Your walk and your life has been crippled by fear you have left things on the table when it comes to God. You've not taken bold steps. You've been afraid of your reputation being lost. You've been afraid of giving and losing possessions. You've been afraid to take a bold step for God to, know what it, to not knowing what it might do to your life, your family, what it might change. You've been afraid. And this morning, God just wants you to put on that helmet of salvation. Say, what do you have to be afraid of? What do you have to be afraid of? If God has forgiven you of your past and he's not put it on your shoulders to attain your salvation, but accomplished it through Christ and he has made certain your future, what do you have to be afraid of? What do you have to be afraid of? You don't even have to fear death because God's already taken care of that. be afraid of what people are going to say for a short time. You don't even have to fear that because it's God's opinion of you that matters most. And so if that's you this morning, if you're you're in either of those groups I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than just lift your hand because I want to pray for you and just lift your hand to God and say God I have had those fears I have been walking in fear and I want to walk in faith and I want to walk assured of your salvation just lift your hand to the Lord and let him know God that's me I want freedom from these fears today I want freedom to walk in faith I want freedom to walk with you in salvation thank you thank you hands going up to the Lord. Just raise them to the Lord. Say, God, that is me, and I need that freedom today. Thank you. God, that's me. I need to walk in your salvation. I don't want to fear man's opinions. I don't want to fear death. I don't want to fear a diagnosis from a doctor. I don't want to fear losing a possession or a position. I want to walk in complete trust in you. Just raise your hand to the Lord and say, God, that's me. Father, I just lift up these hands that have gone up all around this room. Men and women, my brothers and sisters, friends, Lord, that are raising their hand and just saying, God, we want freedom from our fears. God, we don't want to walk in fear. We don't want to be crippled and paralyzed by fear. We don't want your church to be crippled by fear, Lord. So God, I ask God for my brothers and sisters here this morning that have lifted their hand that you would help us this morning to put on the helmet of salvation, to guard ourselves and to be able to take our stand against the schemes of the enemy. Schemes where the enemy would try and undercut us. Try and say, don't attempt it because you might fail. Be fearful of failure. Schemes of the enemy that say you might get hurt. You might lose someone you love. You might lose something you love. God's schemes of the enemy that fill us with fear. Would you fill us with faith today? Would you fill us with hope today and your salvation that is as sure as we are standing and sitting here today. The salvation of God. That we know what we have been saved from and through. And we know what we have been saved to. So we don't have to fear anything in this world there's nothing more you could have done Lord you have removed every obstacle even death itself you have removed as an obstacle so Lord set us free Lord I ask for every man woman young man young woman who lifted their hand today God would you set them free today God would you set us free from our fears Would you help us to put on that helmet of salvation and recognize that salvation is not something we did years ago when we made a commitment to you. Salvation is something you offer us today, and it's our future hope, and it's what you've done through Jesus. And as we worship this morning, that we would remember that Jesus has already paid it all, and so it's all to him we owe. And so we worship and lift you up and we ask that you would help us as we leave this place today to leave it dressed in the full armor of God and certainly not the least of it is to put on a helmet of salvation, being grateful for what we have been saved from and through and hopeful in what we have been saved to through Jesus our Lord.